Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Lord, we thank you for one another. Thank you we get to be able to meet like this. Again, we don't take it for granted, as we've just heard, that whatever's gone on in our world, we're not at the moment worried that the doors are going to get kicked in and we're going to be brutally assaulted for uh, worshipping you, Lord. We, we thank you for the blessings and uh, the, the good things that you've brought into our life. And especially we thank you for your word to us. And as we, as we look at your word tonight, thank you that we have an anticipation that you're going to speak, you're going to help us, you're going to encourage us, and you're going to um, make us more courageous, more grateful, more full of faith. And, uh, and, and Lord, as a result, I'm just more and more in love with you. Amen. So... Um, you, you can't even see this. I can't even see it. But on my, on my uh, wall in my office for ages has been this scruffy-looking bit of serviette. And it's just got worse and worse over the years. But um, I need to tell you the story of it because I came to Ivy 13 years ago and we grew out of this building in different ways and we moved, some of us, um, we, we, some of you were here, we moved from here, we moved to Gorton Monastery, we went, met there for a little while, then there was a problem with that, um, with their licensing and stuff, so then we moved, we went to the Trafford Centre for a while, then we went over to, uh, to Salford Quays, we met in Media City for a while, and then we ended up coming back here to Didsbury, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people were just following out of curiosity. Like, what, uh, where are we going to be next and what the heck? <laughs> and uh, just sort of, but at the same time, believing God's, you know, because the only way I kind of knew at the time, if you're going to grow a church and you have more people coming, was you just needed bigger buildings. So I, I thought, we just need to find bigger buildings because this one was full and, and it was like, okay, great. And it was around that time we were in Didsbury, that a guy called Dave Ferguson came and we're connected with this uh, now with a thing called New Thing, which for them was a fairly new thing, and since then it's become a kind of, you know, for some of us, a more familiar thing. <laughs> and like Tim spends a lot of his time working with new thing. But he's looking at kind of church planting in different ways. And, and one of the things that he said in, for you know, a bunch of us in leadership, he talked about, Dave talked about when he was uh, in Chicago, and, and basically he was in a restaurant with his brother John, and they had this, you know, what's the dream? And, and he sat there and he drew on a napkin, Chicago, and he kind of thought, well, maybe we could plant a church there, maybe we could plant a church there, plant a church there. And they had this serviette, and then sometime later, after doing nothing about it other than tucking away the serviette in a pocket and really forgetting about it, he met with a guy who said, what's the dream, Dave? And he remembered and he went and dug it out and he said, well, this is the dream that we could plant some of these churches. And this guy said something that I think is so important for us to hear and everybody needs somebody to say this to them. Oh, you could do that. It's like, you could do that. You know, with God helping you, you could do that. Because lots of us might fold away our serviette and put it out and never get it out because you might think other people would say that's crazy. But since then, Dave has planted those churches and helped to plant many, many more churches and has helped to plant many, many, many more churches. And the napkin was just not big enough. So, so effectively, years ago, I drew on this. And I mean, really, it's, the thing is, it's faded with the sun. But really, if you could see it, it's a beautiful work of art. <laughs> It's like, I just kind of drew the UK, and I drew here, this building effectively, as like an ivy leaf. 
And then I did from there other ivies, other ivy leaves coming in different places. And then from some of those ivy leaves, and just independently of some of them, there was like a box, or there was a star, or there was a circle, or there was these different shaped things that in somehow we were just blessing and, and helping to get going. And it didn't all have to be ivies. It's just about the kingdom of God expanding. So I drew this and I had some arrows shooting off all around the world for it. And as I say, and that, I just kept, I looked at it and looked at it and then, after a bit, I mean, this is what can happen if we envision with our lives over a bit. It, like, gets, it fades. And that literally fades. I'm not saying that, in a sense, the vision for me faded, but I don't know if God's given you a promise or God's told you something. But through the things that we've gone through, sometimes what can happen is it, it just starts to fade. And, and, um, and this last Sunday, I went and spoke at uh, the Message Community Church. And that's like, for me, one of the things. It's like a square or a triangle or a circle. It's something that came out of here from lockdown. We ended up doing something differently. And yeah, we ended up effectively making a sacrifice of saying, oh, well, let's just go back to Sharston and go back in Sharston for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of so many people who through COVID have found Jesus and now need to be discipled. We were like, let's just get behind that work let's bless that work and and you know what i always feel you know, when you sacrifice like that it's just you've got to decide what kind of a god have you got because to me god's not going to not bless that if we kind of go lord we're holding lightly to this and we just want to bless your work he's going to sort some of the things out he's going to be able to do that and you know, it's like yourself you know, if i'm saying to you give to open doors that's not like and them thinking oh but you could be giving that money to ivy or whatever it's just such a small-minded ridiculous way to think like that because ultimately if people get a bigger heart for god then they're going to get a bigger heart for everything to do with the things of god and everybody wins so um, I, I went there and I said to them, there was baptisms taking place and there's two ways we could look at it because I could look at that and see that it was our baptistry they were being baptised in and I could have gone over and stood by that baptistry and said, that's our baptistry or I could have said, that's our baptistry that's like, there's people being baptised in our baptistry, it's what it's for it's better that than it being stuck down in the cellar isn't it? And pulled out when we fancy using it. No, it's like it's being used. And I love it. But then on Tuesday night, I'm praying and I'm like, Lord, so what's the word for us? And what do you want, you know, what, what's important for us to do next? And I've got to say, the last few years, some of you know this, have been tough in various ways. But I felt for the last few years, the word that God gave me about three years ago was, you've got to dig out foundations. And digging out foundations is really hard. And it takes a lot of work. And I thought that, that digging out the foundations might take a couple of months or a few months or up to a year or whatever. And it's literally just been digging and digging and digging and digging and digging and hard, hard, hard. And then, you know, with COVID too, for up until about now. And I actually feel what God's been doing has been preparing the ground for something amazing that we're about to step into. Anybody else agree? I think there's been a digging out and a hard work, but it's, it's with a purpose, and it's because God's going to do some amazing things, because that's how he works. So, and um, middle of the night, I was up, five o'clock in the morning, praying, not because I'm dead holy, because the dog needed a wee. I was up. I couldn't get back to sleep. Too much information. But <laughs> it, was like, it was like, Lord, what's it? And then he said this, he said this to me like, really clearly. It was like, strengthen the centre. 
Strengthen the centre. Have we got um, some slides for this? This was it. Strengthen the centre. And, and like, this is the centre, guys. You know, where we are now, part of it is, is here. And, you know, this church has been... So at this time, we had some people come from Glasgow Prophetic Centre, and they, they declared the important strategic position of this building, where it is, and it's like the southern gate of the city, they said. And they said, you know, we've been given... Years before, we're told we've, you've been given... Ivy Church has been given the, the keys to the city. Graham Cook declared that years before I was here. There's like something very important about here. And that isn't say we're important. It's just that we're strategic in the purposes of God. So it was like, great, you've been digging out the foundations. Now, strengthen the centre. And what's the centre? It's here, but it's us. It's you and it's me. The Lord wants to strengthen us. He wants to, and I believe now, the next season we're in is really going to be about, about rebuilding. And, and these kind of, it's important that we do gather when we can, as we can. It's important that we do worship and we, we make the effort to do that. And, you know, anybody here taking a, if you've got a car and you're here tonight, you've taken a step of faith because you could have used your petrol tomorrow, but you've actually thought, this is important, I'm going to come. Unless you've got an electric car, in which case you get no credit whatsoever with the Lord. Yet. One day, I'm sure you will. But basically, this needs to be made strong again. That's what, that's what I feel the season we're in. God wants to strengthen this again, because this is where we go from. Because on this beautiful picture, and what I'm going to do later, I'm going to get a new napkin. I'm going to draw the same picture. Because it isn't like the vision's changed. But basically, I'm going to draw again, and I'm going to still put in an ivy leaf that represents here. Because from here, Cheadle Hume happens. From here, all the other things that we're doing happens out of here. This is like the beating heart of the church. So yeah, I'm not saying the building matters in that sense that much, except it does to God. I think strategically. I'm not bothered about church buildings, but I'm bothered about here because there's something very strategic about this place in the purposes of God. And the, the way in which this church was birthed and the vision it started with in 1893 to reach out to all kinds of different people in different kinds of ways has been very significant as part of our story. And thank God we've not lost that. Even though we've been prepared to lay it down at times, and we have, we've said, Lord, we're not holding on to this, but God... Has, has preserved this and so every church every organization every business right now has been through some stuff which means that now we are on a restart and wherever you work whatever you do you're on a restart we just prayed on yesterday we had a we had the new starters on the staff team and it was great because we've got some amazing people who've joined the staff team recently fantastic we prayed for them the elders prayed for them but then i said to them but you know what i feel like a new starter I feel like excited actually as well as about that it's like we're starting all over again. I feel like I've only just got here because now we're on a full rebuild now. We, we, but you know, here's the good thing is, it's like when I first came here 13 years ago, except now I've got a bit more experience. <laughs> you know, now I've got some, some, a bit more wisdom, a bit more battle scars, and I've still got lots to learn. But I'm like, yeah, I'm ready for it. I'm up for it. I want to be what God's going to do here. Now, we all went through this incredible, awful time. And it's going to mean things to different people in different ways, but it's like the world stopped effectively on its axis. It was like things just, you know, didn't happen in the way that they used to happen. It was like this incredibly traumatic, fearful time all around the world. And we've all been through that. And I think it will mark this generation. I think it's going to be something actually that, in, in many ways, will strengthen this generation. I think it's something that, that 
the, you know, the, the shock of it has, has destabilized various things. But at the same time, as we rebuild now, it is possible to rebuild stronger. And the you know, thing is, it, this wasn't just like a change. Things do change, and, and I've described a few changes we had as a church. But, but I kind of like change. But nobody liked all this change. And nobody liked COVID change. You'd have to be mad, wouldn't you? Nobody liked it. Nobody was like, oh, great, we get to change things. It was like, actually, but what we do have to do is to continue to adapt and to press in and get closer to the Lord and say, what is it that you're doing over and above this? You know, in Genesis chapter 1, it talks about how, how there was, uh, the, the Spirit of the Lord, it says, was hovering over the face of the waters. You maybe read that in Genesis 1. But that word for waters, literally in Hebrew, is the same word for chaos. So it's like you've got all this chaos and darkness going on. And the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the, over the chaos. And like, <laughs> as Christians, our job isn't just to focus on the chaos. That's what everybody else does. Our job is to look and say, well, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? What are you reshaping? What are you doing in this time? That's our privilege as Christians to be able to do that. And so when I was getting into tonight and looking at what it was that I wanted to speak about, and I do want to speak about something else a little bit, but I was reading this just in my normal daily readings, because in the end, I want to talk a lot. I talk a lot about just reading the Bible on a regular basis every day. It's what I do. If I don't do that, I'm going to die. I feel it's that serious. I need to read the Bible every day. I need to be with God every day. I need to pray every day. To the extent that I miss it for a day, if, if I miss it for a day, I notice. If I miss it for a couple of days, Zoe notices. If I miss it for a week, everybody will start to notice. Because <laughs> it's like, that is lifeblood and speaking to me. So I'm reading, just in my readings, second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. You might want to find it yourself. If you've got your own Bible. We're going to look at a, just a couple of verses from that, just to kind of get into this. And, you know... Some people have said 2 Corinthians might be actually 3 Corinthians. It might be that he sent a letter in between them, but nobody really knows. But basically, it seems like Paul's had to say some harsh things to this church. It's been a tough time, and now he's writing another letter about them. And I love it, because the thing is, when I'm reading this, there's a chunk at the beginning that I kind of pretty much know by heart. And it's all about the comfort. And it's like, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that then we'll be able to comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves have received. And I've known that for years. There's things, and, you know, there's things that have been tough and been hard, and I've received comfort for them. It's like a particular shaped piece of comfort I needed for that. And then you find actually God makes it a little bit bigger. He makes it big enough for me, but also I find later on, because I receive comfort for that, when somebody else needs comfort for something, I've got something to be able to give away. And it might not be exactly the same, but it's kind of a bit like it. And so the fact that you know, we, you know, we've been through marriage counselling and had some stuff means I'm in a better position, perhaps a little bit more empathetic when people come to us with a marriage problem or whatever. And in the past, before that, I might have been a bit judgmental. And I'm not saying it was a good thing that we had hard times in our marriage, but it's a good thing that comes from it. And it's like that's how God works. So Paul outlines this at the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And he uses the word comfort or consolation, depending on your translation, 10 times 
Comfort, comfort, comfort. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, in our year of mercy, and the God of all consolation or comfort. I'm going to say comfort. Who comforts us in all of our afflictions so we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You get in the picture? It's like God wants to come. And the word comfort there is parakaleo in the Greek. And it literally means stand alongside isn't that beautiful? It's like God comes when we need comfort and he's there. You're like, where's God? I don't know where God is. He's right there. He comes alongside right there. So all the things you've gone through, everything we've gone through and you've wondered where God is, actually he's right there. He comes alongside and he always brings his comfort. And then I just want to move on through this quickly because verse 8 to me is what, because I know that bit and I'm like, oh, I love this passage. And then we get into verse 8 and there's this bit, I've, I've read it before, but I've not seen it before. You ever had that with the Bible? You know, you've read it before and I'm like, but I've never really seen that before. And here's what he says. We do not want you to be unaware, which means they were. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. He's talking about sometime, something's happened between 1 Corinthians and now. Something's happened in, in, in Turkey, around that area. That's what they called Asia, Asia Minor. That's what he's talking about. Maybe it was at Ephesus. We don't know. But the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. He's using a judicial term. It's like, it's as if the judge put the black hat on. That's how it felt. So, the, and so that's it. It's like, indeed, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death. He actually says, again, in another translation, we despaired of life itself. Now, I, don't, I, I imagine there's people in this room who know exactly what Paul is talking about. Paul doesn't describe what it was. He doesn't, and that's better, because it might not be the same, but it feels the same. It's like, oh my goodness, life ended. It can just seem like when that happened, life as it, as it was ceased to exist. I'm going to ask you if you know what that feels like, not for anybody else, not ask you to stand up and do anything embarrassing, just put your hand on your heart. If you know what that feels like, if you've known what that felt like, that something happened and it was just like, oh man, this was so big, this was so hard. Just put your hand on your heart so I can pray for you and we can pray for you for a moment where you are. That you would receive the comfort of the comforter right now anybody watching receive the comfort of the comforter no you are not alone you have not been abandoned thank you for being honest thank you for being real the Lord knows the Lord knows the Lord cares the Lord understands the Lord knows what it feels like because he himself was abandoned he meets you in that. May you receive the comfort. And 
And maybe some people just need to sit with that tonight. And, and there's people with yellow things on and that means they'd love to pray for you later on and we can pray for anybody with that. But I was, I was reading something, it was a, a commentary by a guy called F.F. F. Bruce on this passage. And what he said was, now it seems that Paul details what some may think of as his second conversion. I was like really struck by that. It was like, of course we know about the first one. Of course we know about the, the road to Damascus and the blind thing and all of that. It's like his eyes were open. But then in his ministry and everything that he's doing, there's like he's following Jesus and he's telling people about Jesus and it's all going, you know, and it's hard and all of that. But then something's happened. Something awful. We don't even know what it is. But it's like, he feels like he's dying. He feels like he, it couldn't be any worse. He's crushed. He's like, he's like, he's unbearably, utterly unbearably crushed so that we despaired of life itself. It doesn't get any worse than that. We felt like, like we, were de- we were dead. It was like we were just a breath away from it. This happened. Why? Because you're like, why would God allow that? Yeah, ever asked that? Why did God allow that? Why do you got to lie that? This happened, he says, so that we would not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. Could it be that up until this point, the great apostle Paul had relied on himself? That there was still something inside of him that that when a problem or a situation came along his first thought was how do I handle this rather than how could how could this be anything how could we do anything other than rely on the God who raises the dead to be able to fix this this is how we can have confidence when vision ends up being tatty and worn out and, you know, gone, that God can resurrect. Our God can restore. Our God can rebuild. Because we know he did it 2,000 years ago. He did it when Jesus died on a cross and everybody saw it was the end and then three days later he burst out of that tomb and starts meeting with people and, and he's like ha ha <laughs> you know I'm not saying he didn't, that's not in the Bible but <laughs> if, if I was Jesus that's the way I would do it I'd be like turning up by, around various places in Jerusalem and going ha <laughs> but, but they're like but here's the interesting thing isn't it and they're like it is Jesus it is Jesus, it's still Jesus. Wow, it's still Jesus. But what did they notice about him? He still bears the scars. It's like he's resurrected, he's still got power. And this again is what it's like for us. We go through these things, we learn to rely on the God who raises the dead. And yeah, we still bear the scars of those times. And actually there's, there's, there's healing in those wounds. You know, it's like he says to Thomas, you know, yeah, put your fingers in there, stop doubting and believe. And it's like this, you know, so we're not talking about, and you can carry a wound, and people just sometimes carry a wound, and it never gets healed by Jesus. And that isn't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about carrying a scar 
that is the mark that you have been healed by Jesus. And you've met with the God who can raise the dead. Something very different about that. I feel like now maybe I'm coming into a bit of a second conversion. And I really needed it. Because in this next season, I don't want to rely on me. We've got a brilliant staff team. I don't want to rely on the brilliant staff team. We've got lots of great healthy stuff going on in the church. I don't want to, we've got brilliant elders. I don't want to rely on that. I want to, I want to rely on the God who raises the dead. Because like, compared to that, tell me something hard. Tell me something tough. Tell me something difficult. Because some of the things that we're going to face are just going to need the kind of faith that says, you know what, my God raises the dead. And sometimes he leaves them in the grave a few days, you know, like he did with Lazarus, so that people come and say, oh Lord, he stinketh, as it says in the King James Version. So he's, like, he's like, he leaves it long enough, it starts to stink. And then, aha, <laughs> out comes Lazarus. Come on. So how do we rebuild? Thank you. How do we rebuild? I'm not going to preach this. I'm going to preach a whole lot of it in the new year. But Nehemiah, I just think, you know, Nehemiah gives the sort of the plans for how to, uh, how we rebuild. And uh, I wish I put a bookmark in it. It would be easier to find it. But, you know, if you know the story of Nehemiah, if you don't, I'm going to briefly tell you. Nehemiah was a guy whose life was all about security, effectively. And he was the cupbearer to the king, which means that he was um, not just, it doesn't mean he was like the waiter, it means he was like the, the, the home secretary, effectively. He was in charge of, uh, of security for the nation. And he's in, he's in this place, it starts off, Nehemiah chapter 1, he's in the, the winter capital, Susa, and he's got it all right for himself. He's got a good life. He's like a, 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 you know, a, a politician. He's Jewish background, but he's in different places in exile. But he's risen to the top, a bit like we're doing with Daniel at the moment. It's a similar kind of a, a deal. And, he, and he's, you know, he's an advisor to the king. And he's got this secure, safe life. But then something happens. And, it, and when he hears about it, his life is never the same again. It's like something happens. And it's back in, in, in Judea. It's back in Jerusalem where he's effectively from and it says that when he heard about this one of the, my brothers came with men from Judah and I asked them like he inquired not just about himself but about the Jews that survived those who escaped the captivity in about Jerusalem and they replied the survivors like the remnant there in the province who escaped captivity are in great trouble and shame the walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been destroyed by fire now when he heard that it's a bit like you might hear something on the news Oh, you might hear you know, Dan talk about something to do with the, the suffering church and the persecuted church. And we kind of go, oh, our heart goes out to that. So I'm going to pray about it. But he doesn't just do that. He like is wrecked. He's like, you know what? This is gonna, my life can't be the same anymore now I know about this. There's certain things God might lay on your heart. And this isn't just I feel sad about it. It's like God's saying, I want you to do something about it. And it means him coming out of his safety and his secure zone and stepping into this faith zone. And so the first thing that he does... He says, it's just he prays. I sat down when I heard these words and I wept and I mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Don't just go and do something. Pray. 
It's his first thing. He's, he, he, and he's talking to the Lord and he's like, he gets God's heart. And the thing is, he's hearing, the walls are down. And he's like, that should not be. Because if the walls are down, there's no protection for people. And like the, the enemy can just come in and rampage all over them. And the gates are burned with fire. And the gates, you know, that's again the security. It's the going in, the coming out. But it also is the place of commerce. It's the place where wisdom is found in the Bible. And all of that's gone. And it's like, this place is destroyed. And, and, he, and he's inside of him, he's like, oh, God and he starts to pray and very often when we start to pray about a problem God shares his heart for that problem with us and he just gets worse until eventually God starts to give him a solution but it's a scary one is to go before his boss and to ask for help and his boss is this incredibly powerful possibly grumpy king that everybody has to smile in front of all the time and um, and if you you know if you, if you don't look happy you don't just get sacked you might lose everything including your life and it's a scary job anyway to be the cupbearer to the king because basically what he did was he would taste the poison he would he would eat the food and taste the wine before the king did so that if it wasn't right if it wasn't good then you only got one bad day because that was the day you ate the poison end of the job so but he goes before the king and he says the king says what's the matter with you why are you pulling your face effectively and he says well, something's happening back home and I need to go and, and I believe I'm, I'm called to restore and to rebuild it. And, then he, and, the, and the king says, well, what do you need? And he says, and actually, he's already got a plan. He's prayed, so he's got a plan. He says, well, I, could, I need some wood and I need some letters of passage and I need some permissions to be able to go here and there. And it's like he's already got a plan worked out and the king says, okay, go. So then he goes and people are like, what are you doing here? And he holds up the letter. The king says, I can come. The king says, he can come. And the, Lord, and, and, he, and the king says, I can have all of that wood, so bring that too. And they come to Jerusalem and he says this, I came to Jerusalem, I was there for three days. Again, he didn't tell anybody what he's doing. He's just praying about it. Then I got up during the night and a few with me I told nobody what God had put in my heart to do the only animal I took was the animal I rode and he talks about going through the city and he's riding around and actually he gets this place the rubble is so bad his horse can't even get through and it's like how terrible this is now lots of us could stick there lots of us could stay there we can look at things and it's not hard to find the rubble it's not hard to find what's wrong it's not hard to say oh look that gate is burnt it's not hard to say that wall is broken down but the difference you see with Nehemiah is he's a man of faith and you know what he sees he sees the walls built he sees the gates in place. He sees the temple rebuilt. He sees people going in and coming out and praising the Lord. This is the difference. Anybody can look at the world right now and know things are wrong and bad and the walls are down and the gates are burned with fire. But God's looking for people who'll be able to look at the same thing differently with the eyes of faith. And to be able to look at it and go, you know what? I think I know a God who raises the dead. So... I can see if we got somebody here working on this bit and then we got somebody here working on this bit and somebody here working on this bit, I bet we could get this done. And so then he has this incredible conversation. People, and he gathers them all together and you know, he, he says to them, you see the trouble we're in. He's not, saying, he's not telling them off. He's not saying, you know, you've, you've messed this place up. He's saying... We are in trouble. You see, when I'm talking to you as the church leader, etc., I'm not saying, I'm going to rebuild this church. And, you know, I'm saying, we have an opportunity in this day to be able to be part of a resurrection. 
that needs to take place to show the people of this nation and the nations that our God is still God and that he still raises the dead. And, uh, you know, there's lots of great stuff that's still going on. But he says this, come, let us rebuild the wall. And he doesn't sweet talk. I mean, he doesn't kind of go, you know, here's the wonderful program that we're going to put on to make it easy for you to be able to build this wall. And, you know, I've got all kinds of nice things. You know, we're going to have milkshakes at 10 a.m. and then at coffee breaks. And it doesn't, you know, it just says, it's going to be tough. It's going to take work. Who's up for it? It's like I was reading about Churchill, Churchill's speeches. I can't find a single time when he said something like, come and give your best because it'll be easy. But people signed up. What did they sign up for? Listen to some of his words. I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears and sweat. You. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. For without victory there's no survival. He said to the Americans, give us the tools and we'll finish the job. My favourite was the amazing speech he gave to a very fearful people of our nation who were addressing, addressing the House of Commons included these words. He said, When I warned the French that Britain would fight on a loan, whatever they did, their generals told their prime minister, in three weeks, England will have her neck wrung like a chicken. Some chicken, some neck. (laughs) Nehemiah never cajoled or tried to tell people, this will be great for you. It was like, come and do something great for God. And it says, and then they said, let us start building. So they committed themselves. You know, I can't commit you, I can only commit me. And then he organized them. And it's amazing. You have to, I want to do a whole series on this in, in January and, or early in the new year. But it's like you look through these different people. It's all kinds of different people. You've got the high priest and he's working on this gate with his people. And it's like that's the one that's going to be the temple. So, of course, he's going to want to work hard on that. It's the way into the temple. And then you've got other people. You've got goldsmiths and perfumers. And they're not like going, oh, I just want to do the perfume. Sorry. They're like, I'm, give me a trowel. They're like, you know, the goldsmiths aren't, well, I've got very delicate hands and I can't, it's like, no, no, no. They're like, tell me what, and and then here's the job. Pick up a brick, put it on that one. That's the job. Pick up a brick, put it on that one. Because I can see this wall rebuilt. But together we can do it. And that's, I think, how it's going to be. And in the end, despite opposition, despite mockery, despite people saying, this is never going to happen and you're not the right people to be able to do it and maligning the motives and all of this. He says, he says they carried it on, they worked, they, the burden bearers carried their loads in such a way that each one laboured on the work with one hand and with the other held a weapon. Each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built because they knew this is a spiritual battle, not just a physical labour in what they were doing. And then... I mean, I've got so much I could talk about this. Enemies who intended to do him harm. And every time he just says the same thing. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. And in the end it says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul, which is about now, August, September, in 52 days. It's like quicker than anybody might have thought. Ahead of schedule, God, the God who raises the dead, 
When we don't rely on ourselves, but we trust him, he does amazing, amazing things. So what's your response going to be tonight? We're going to, in a moment, in a few minutes, we're going to come to the cross as the first thing. And, we, and so we can come to the cross here, and we've got some bits of paper around the place and some pens. And the idea is, I want you to think about um, your response of coming to the cross. I'll explain what that means and what you, I mean, if thinking you to bring to the cross before over in different places we can receive communion and we will carry on worshipping together but basically what this is to me is about for me as I say it's a kind of second conversion thing if it needs to happen but it's laying down whatever was in order to step into what will be it's like, it's like laying that down to come in the next thing that, that God has got for us see it, this is how God always deals with us um, Graham Cook, when he came to us, he talks about how we tend to get, we tend to think past, present. We think about the past and we and and what's going on right now. But with God, he says, if we're going to be a prophetic people, God is always present, future. God's always like, what's going on now, and what's what am I? What, here's what I'm going to do. And so there's a shift in our mindset. But that doesn't mean. I mean, for that to happen, we have to be able to grieve the past if we've still got something from there. We have to be able to, to lay that before Jesus. You know, we don't have to say it doesn't happen or it didn't matter. Because it does, and it did. But I was reading about this, there's like a website of some kind, I'm not saying it was exactly this, but it was like dropyourbaggage.com. And the idea is, if you go to London, if you're going to go to London, you can go to these places, and maybe you've got a big rucksack, or you've got all kinds of other stuff, and you're visiting the city, but you can go to these places, and you, you bring your rucksack and whatever else it is, and all of the stuff that you've got, and you bring it there, and you drop it there, and you leave it, and then it says, come and do this, so then you can enjoy the city. And that isn't just because, you know, there's places too that you wouldn't be able to go if you've got a rucksack. There's like museums, or maybe some restaurants, or whatever. If you're bringing all that stuff in, I'm sorry you can't come in here. So, the, so it's like the baggage will stop you from going into some places that God wants you to go into. So it's like, uh, are, we, are we willing to drop the baggage? Are we willing to be, able to, to, to be able to enjoy what God's got for us next in this season? And how do we do that? Well, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you, the Bible says. You can drop off your baggage. And, and people come and they drop it off so they don't have to carry it around with them everywhere that they're going. So as we move on from here tonight and then we go into what's next for us, you know, what miracles does God want to do? through you and me what does who does he want to use us to heal maybe we need to receive comfort in this too but it's so that then we can pass that comfort on to other people but there are places you won't be able to go carrying that baggage and I don't know what it is but maybe you know what the baggage is because in a moment Stand up as part of this, as the band are going to come up and just start to sing. But maybe you go over and you write something down, and you can you can put it in there, and you know come. And in doing so, we're not just putting them in the in the bins. We've shaped them in the shape of a cross because it's like I'm bringing those things, and they're going to go to the cross, and and they're going to be dealt with at the cross, whatever it is. And it could be a habit, it could be a mindset, it could be a hurt, it could be something that that anything you know what it is that's the baggage, and and to be able to. Come to the cross, drop your baggage. Who's hurt you? You know, somebody you can't think about without an ouch. Write the name down. Write it in code if they're sitting next to you. 
Come to the cross with it. Put it in the, the, the baggage drop-off point. You know, things from the past. We've got a decision to make. Are we going to drag them round with us? Is that what you want to do? Are we, going to, are we going to hold on to the things of the past and drag them round with us everywhere we go? We don't have to do that. The price has been paid. Jesus has already paid for them. If it's our sins, we don't have to carry them around anymore. We can bring them to the cross. Unforgiveness, hurts. Write a name down. As I say, nobody else is going to see it. Then crumple it up and pray and pray for that situation or even for that person and then drop it in. What other baggage is it? I don't know. It, could ne- it might not necessarily be sins. It could be confusion about the grief. Maybe you went through that time and you've despaired of life itself and you know something about what that hurt was. And again, just write something on there that is like saying to the Lord, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm th- that this didn't happen, but I'm going I'm to give it to you because I can't carry it anymore. And, and I want to I be able to, to, to somehow take some more steps forward. I don't understand why that happened, but I'm going to trust you because you're the God who didn't just go to a cross, but you're the God who raises the dead. So we stand. Again, you can do this at home if you're watching too. Maybe write something out and just have a prayer time now as we worship. But um, Lord, I thank you that you are the God who raises the dead. impossible situations bring them to him put them in the cross if you like bury them in the cross with him so that then he can just see what he does so we're going to be able to do that don't get communion first deal with your stuff the bible would say then come and receive the the body and the blood of jesus christ which has been shed for the forgiveness of our sins and there's the promise of everlasting life so we're going to invite you to Get one of these post-it notes from here or from there. Write stuff down, but then bring it to here just as we worship. And let's really take this as a holy moment. Lord, I pray this will be a healing moment, a restoring moment, a rebuilding moment. Lord, help us to see these situations, what they could be like, whole and healed by faith. Thank you, Jesus. Start to talk to him about whatever it is. And then when you're ready, if a name comes to mind or a situation or something else, just write it down, crumple it up. Nobody's looking in them afterwards. But the Lord sees and knows. Mourning. Somebody that you miss. Somebody, I don't know what it is, but you know, just bring it to the Lord. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org/media.